Good evening, this is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening every week at this same time for Bible Crossfire. We discuss what the Bible actually says and teaches because it's the authority. It doesn't matter what men say, what the Bible says is what goes on this program because that's what goes with God. Did you hear my friend Keith Britnell just mention that Second John verse 9, if we don't abide in the doctrine, the teaching of Christ, we don't have God? Can you be saved if you don't have God? No. The only way you can be saved is through the grace and mercy of God. We're going to have to abide in the teaching of Christ, Second John verse 9, to have God to be saved. All these different preachers and churches teaching different things, they can't all be abiding in the teaching of Christ. <laughs> they can't all be right. Two plus two can't equal four and five at the same time. That's what we're here to find out. What does the Bible say? Give us a call. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open, 877-655-6755. While we're waiting on our first call, I thought we'd talk about tonight, what about the eating of pork and catfish and other Old Testament unclean animals today? It's true the Old Testament taught the Israelites were not to eat unclean animals like pork. And catfish. For example, when you're talking about pork, Leviticus 11, verses 7 through 8, reads this way. And the swine, though he divide the hoof and be cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cud. He is unclean to you. Or their flesh shall you not eat, and their carcass shall you not touch. They are unclean to you. So the pig was unclean to the Jew. Not only couldn't eat it, he couldn't even touch it. It was unclean. Catfish. Leviticus 11, 9-12. These shall ye eat of all that are in the waters. Whatsoever hath fins and scales in the waters, in the seas and in the rivers, them shall ye eat. And all that have not fins and scales in the seas and in the rivers, and all that move in the waters, and of any living thing which is in the waters, they shall be an abomination unto you. They shall be even an abomination to you. You shall not eat of their flesh, but you shall have their carcasses in abomination. Whatsoever hath no fins nor scales in the waters, that shall be an abomination to you. If you've ever caught a catfish, it has whiskers, but it has no scales, does it? So uh, the Jews couldn't eat catfish, according to Leviticus 9-12. through 12. All of us probably listen to this program, or 99% of us enjoy eating pork, catfish on occasion. Did you know that under the Old Testament law, it was wrong to eat pork and catfish? Thankfully... At least, thankfully, if you like eating pork and catfish, which I do. Thankfully, Hebrews 7.12 says there's been, quote, a change of the law. Now, just like when we change the oil in our car, and that means we completely replace the old oil with the new oil, when God's law changed, that meant a complete replacement of the Old Testament law with the New Testament law. So, the restrictions against eating pork and catfish would not be binding today unless we find the same teaching in our law, the New Testament law. And actually, we find just the opposite. The New Testament specifically tells us the restrictions against eating unclean animals have changed. We'll look at that in just a moment, but do you have a, if you have a Bible question or comment, Give us a call at 877-655-6755.
The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755. First, let's look at Acts 10 and read 9 through 16. It says, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh to the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice meaning three times, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. So Peter was in a trance shown by God that these unclean animals were okay to eat. Rise, Peter, kill and eat these unclean animals. He says, I know, I've never eaten those. I wouldn't do that. He says, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. So these unclean animals, they were unclean during the Old Testament law times. But now... God has cleansed them. Okay to eat them. Now at that time, Peter was still observing the clean and unclean meats distinction. But God, in Acts chapter 10, corrected Peter. He corrected him. He said, you can eat these animals now. There are no unclean animals anymore. You can eat what you choose to eat. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call. 877-655-6755. The number to call is 877-655-6755 if you have a Bible question or comment. Next, let's go to Romans 14. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 and then 14 through 16. It says, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is, it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. So this chapter, Romans 14, is all about unclean meats. How that it is not wrong in of itself to eat unclean meat. But we should not eat them if it will cause someone to eat who still thinks it is wrong. Mike from Arizona, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, sir. I was... Uh, I'm wondering. I'm kind of confused. I, there's some people I'm I'm being around that are teaching me that if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't have enough faith, and you you can't be saved without doing that. And uh, I was wondering what. And I read in Corinthians where it, I get confused. Can you explain it? Thank you. First Corinthians 13. You're probably referring to. Verse 8 yes, through 10, Mike, says, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. 
Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And so this passage actually says, Paul's speaking in 1 Corinthians 13, that tongues are going to cease. Now it doesn't make sense that if he were, if he were saying tongues are going to cease at the end of the world, like some people think, they're going to go to the end of the world, well, everything, everybody, everything's going to cease then, everything's going to stop then, that would go without saying. So obviously sometime before the end of the world, tongues would cease, and it says it's going to occur when that which is perfect has come. Now, if we examine the context of this passage, Mike, it's basically saying the means by which God revealed his New Testament law in parts, like with prophecy and tongues, would stop when the means by which God reveals his New Testament law in whole, in its fullness, is come. And that would be when all 27 books of the New Testament were revealed, written down, put all in one place. Now that we have the New Testament complete, Mike, we don't need the prophecy in tongues to get New Testament revelation in parts. We have the whole thing. We have the whole thing. We can just check our New Testament. So, Mike, this passage teaches that tongues and prophecies stop when the New Testament was completed. You follow what I'm saying? Yes, sir. It makes sense. And it says that. That's exactly what it says. Yes, sir. Now, Mike? Yes, sir. I want you to... You you, I don't know if you remember this. BibleCrossfire at email.com is my email address. BibleCrossfire at email.com. That's email with an E. If okay. anybody in the re- listening audience, including you, Mike, anybody in the listening audience, this is... I, I, re- I dealt with this in First Corinthians 13 rather briefly. I have... Five charts I would like to send you, of course, free of charge, that go into detail. They're kind of technical. That go into detail proving that 1 Corinthians 13 is saying that when the completed New Testament had come, when the New Testament was completely done, written down, and all in one place, then the way that God revealed in parts, the prophecy in the tongues would cease. I'd like to send you those charts via email, Mike. So if you'd, if you'd send me an email at BibleCrossfireEmail.com and ask for that, I'd be glad to send it to you. Okay, if I can remember, I'm driving right now, BibleCrossfire.com. <laughs> well, i tell you what, I shouldn't have said it that way. You know, the name of this program is Bible Crossfire. If you'll just go to BibleCrossfire.com, you can find a way there very easily to send me an email, okay? BibleCrossfire.com. The name of the program is Bible Crossfire, okay? Well, okay, that sounds good. Now, when I, when I have you, while I have you on the line, Mike, if you don't mind, I'm going to show you one other thing. Okay. Okay? From Acts chapter yep. 2, you know, I've been to another number of Pentecostal-type services where they claim to be speaking in tongues, and every time I've seen it, they're all just talking in gibberish. But I want to show you from Acts chapter 2 that tongues were actually human languages, not just gibberish. In Acts 2 verse 4, talking about the apostles, it says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so the apostles are speaking with other tongues. Now, to tell you about what that means is, like if I were to ask you, Mike, what's your mother tongue, what would you answer? What's your mother tongue? English. English. In other words, we understand tongue is a synonym for the word language, right? Language. If you ask a person's mother tongue, they'll tell you, well, it was the tongue I grew up in was English or Spanish. Now, so the apostles here are speaking other tongues, verse 4. Let me keep reading verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. 
Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So the apostles were speaking in other tongues, but the, these people who were from different nations who spoke different languages, they were hearing the apostles speak in their own language, meaning the word tongue and language, we would call it a foreign language, where it was used interchangeably. Do you see that? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Verse 7, let me finish. Keep, um, let me keep reading. And as they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. So they spoke in tongues, verse 4. Verse 6 says they heard the apostles speak in their own language. And verse 8 says they heard him speak in their own tongue. So a tongue was not gibberish like you hear today. A tongue back then when tongues were still... Uh, in effect, they were still going, the miraculous tongues. A tongue was a foreign language. Like, if God wanted me to preach to a crowd of Russians, how would I do that? I'd have to spend a year studying the Russian language to be able to preach to them. So God miraculously enabled the apostles and other people, other people in that time, to speak in a foreign language immediately without studying it so they could preach the gospel immediately to people who didn't understand their language. Do you see why it was done, Mike? Yes, there's a purpose for it. And, and it's not like today they, they refer to it as the heavenly language. That yeah. is just a bunch of weird noises and stuff. Yeah, it was never gibberish. It was always a human language, a human language done so the preacher who gets this miracle of speaking in this foreign language immediately can communicate with people who... Who, who, who couldn't understand his language, but couldn't understand the language that God miraculously enabled him to speak. Tongues were always human languages, not gibberish. And I've been to a number of these, quote, services where people are supposedly speaking in tongues, and they never are human languages. They're always gibberish. They're nothing like the tongues in the Bible. And 1 Corinthians 13 says that they would cease when the New Testament revelation was completed. You got any follow-up, Mike? Why do, why do they do that? I don't understand. Just error? Well, why do, why do churches, Mike, let me ask you this question. Why do 75% of the congregations across the United States have women preachers when passages like 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35 says, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Is there anything ambiguous about that passage, Mike? <laughs> Sounds to me like uh, people kind of pick and choose what they want to believe or use. Yeah, yeah. Sure. this passage Whatever. clearly shows women preaching from the pulpit is wrong, yet 75% of the church is allowed. Why do they do that? How, how am I supposed to know why people refuse to accept the Bible is their authority. Mike, if you're playing baseball, what rule book should you use? Baseball. Now, if you're not using the baseball rule book, you're not really playing baseball, are you? No, no, that's true. Yeah. Now, so what's the rule book for Christianity? The Word of God, the, the Bible. That's right. So if you're trying to practice Christianity, but you're not actually following the rule book, Meaning you allow women to preach from the pulpit, or you allow gay marriage, or you sprinkle babies for baptism when it should be immersion of believers, or you allow women preachers, 
And the rule book says all of these things are wrong, but you're doing that anyway. You're not really using the Bible as your rule book. Then you're not really practicing Christianity, are you, Mike? No, sir. It doesn't. I can't. No. I I can't explain so why they do it. If it Go ahead, Mike. I'm I, sorry. I was just going to say, if it's not by the rule book, then it, it's not. It's sin, right? I mean, that's exactly right. First John three four says. Sin is the transgression of God's of, of law. Talking about God's law, of the law. So, so yes, they're not following the rule book is sin. Now, all these people who claim to be Christians, preachers, churches, they're not really using the Bible as their authority. If they were, they wouldn't allow women to preach from the pulpit. They wouldn't speak in tongues. But they do in religion. They do what they want to do instead of what God says to do. They do what will bring in the most people or what is politically correct at the moment. You know, politically correct, that changes. So so they changed 100 years ago. It's politically correct to be opposed to gay marriage. Now it's politically correct to be in favor of gay marriage, of homosexuality. So a bunch of churches have changed over to, to modify their stance to match up with what society says. They're not following the Bible, though, are they, Mike? No, sir. The, what is the church? The, what's the correct church? Well, yeah. I'll tell you what, Mike. Here's what I want you to do. Okay. At the end of the program, I'm going to give you my cell phone number. I'll go ahead. No, at the end of the program, I'm going to give my cell phone number, and I want you to give me a call or text me after the program, and we'll talk about maybe having a, a Bible study over the phone, and we can talk about that more in detail, okay? Sounds good. Thank you. Okay, thanks for your call, Mike. Thank you. Bye. Again, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877 877- Six five five six seven five five. The number to call is eight seven seven six five five six seven five five. Here's another passage in the New Testament that teaches that it's okay now to eat pork and catfish. First Timothy four one through four says, "Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron." Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. So First Timothy 4, 1-4 through 4 is basically saying, all of the creatures, even pork and catfish, are okay to eat now. You see, what we're seeing is there's a difference in the Old Testament law, which said you could not eat pork and catfish, in the, and the New Testament law, which says you can. People seem to want to disregard this distinction, this difference in Old Testament law and New Testament law, and pick and choose which laws in the Old Testament they're going to bind. But I think this issue should illustrate for us that the Old Testament law is not binding. Under the New Testament law, every creature is good to eat, nothing to be refused. Now, what are some other Old Testament laws that have been done away with on the same basis that passages like Hebrews 7.12, which we read earlier, teach the law was changed. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. How about circumcision? That was something that had to be done under the Old Testament, but not in the New. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says... For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. And 1 Corinthians 7.19 says, Circumcision is nothing, 
and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. So it doesn't matter whether a person is circumcised anymore. It did under the Old Testament, but we're not under the Old Testament. And the New Testament makes it clear circumcision doesn't matter anymore. Instead, what matters is whether or not you have a faith which works by love. Now, a lot of people teach salvation by faith only. That's not true. What avails, according to this verse, is faith which works by love. You've got to have faith, all right. That's for sure. It's got to be a faith that works. And it's got to be a faith which works, motivated by love. And then how about the Leverite marriage law? Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6. It says, If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother, which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. The Leverite marriage law is like I have three, four, three brothers. There's four of us. If the oldest is married and he dies, my oldest brother dies before he has any children, then the second brother was obligated to marry his widow and the first child then would be the heir of the older brother's uh, possessions. That was called the Leverite marriage law. That was taught in the Old Testament law, but I don't know of a single church or single person today that thinks the Leverite marriage law is binding today. <laughs> don't know of a single... Now, a lot of people want to bind other things like the Sabbath. Or they might want to bind this or that or tithing or something else. But none of them are willing to bind the Leverite marriage law. Why not? I mentioned the Sabbath. Colossians 2, 14 through 17. Here's what that passage says. Talking about Jesus, it says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So this passage says that Jesus took some ordinances and blotted them out, took them out of the way, and nailed them to the cross. And one of the ordinances he blotted out and nailed to the cross is the Sabbath day. So it's not that the Sabbath has changed from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week. Or it's not that we still have to keep the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. It's the Sabbath has been blotted out, taken out of the way, nailed to the cross. It's no longer binding anymore. A lot of people claim to be Christians, like the Seventh-day Adventists. They want to bind the Sabbath today. But this passage specifically says the Sabbath is one of the ordinances that was nailed to the cross. All Old Testament laws, as a matter of fact, have been abolished. We're under the New Testament law exclusively. Let me show you that word abolished. Ephesians 2.15, talking about Jesus, it says, "...having abolished in his flesh the enmity..." Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So God, Jesus Christ, abolished these commandments, these ordinances. It seems that everyone understands the Old Testament law is not still binding when it comes to eating pork and catfish. But most everybody seems to want to hang on to their favorite two or three Old Testament laws. That's not consistent. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Either all of the Old Testament law has been done away or none of it has been done away. 
Galatians 5.3 says, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. It's either all or nothing. And then the very next verse teaches that if we try to bind any Old Testament law, we lose our salvation. Galatians 5.4 Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Well, many churches, like the Baptist church, teach it's impossible to fall from grace if you're a Christian. But this says... If you try to bind this Old Testament law, you are fallen from grace. You do lose your salvation. I'm about to have to go off the air. If you want that free one-hour phone Bible study with me, just whenever it's convenient for you, free of charge, a one-hour phone Bible study, call or text me at 256-682-9753. If you want the free one-hour phone Bible study, whenever it's convenient for you, 256 256- 682-9753. Appreciate you listening. Be sure and listen next week at this same time.